Hello everybody and welcome to The Shores, the amazing adventure of Josh Shibet of the Atlas Mountain Race. Even though at the moment while I'm talking is a couple of days away for racing another amazing event, I'm talking about the Rhino Run. Check some social media around his social media and you're gonna see on what adventure he is. But we still need a wrap in this episode because finally we discussed about how the race was from him, without technical problems, without phone connection, on the way. I was in London for Bespoke some days ago, so we sat on top of the audience and we just started having a chitty chat, lovely chitty chat on talking how was it, how would have been better, if, what could be worse, if, and all these kind of things that are making the best adventure. So if you enjoyed this show, please keep on listening until the final episode. That is actually this one. And, of course, give us some feedback. That's also super, super interesting. I think it's enough for me to talk. I will talk to you at the end. And, people, thanks a lot for being part of this adventure. And maybe something else is gonna come. Not for now, though. There's not gonna be any comment from me and not a stupid filter, but I'm so happy to talking with the man himself now here to wrap up this mini-series. Hi, Josh. Hello, how are you? I'm perfectly good, a bit hungover from yesterday, but now good. Uh, yeah, um... Obviously, I'm not because I'm an athlete and I don't drink very much. No, 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 no. I've never drank with you anything, so it's fine. Not yet. No. Well, let's go through quickly because, I mean, I, we already talked for one hour and a half, so we can probably do the same in an episode of one hour and a half. I don't know how many people are going to listen to that. It's a mini-series. It's got to be short, hasn't it? Let's see. Last time that we talked about, I mean, we were the further in the car and we talked for a little interview, 40 minutes. You, I, and Becky. Yeah. Well, we were probably talking a lot of uh, non-relevant stuff there as well, weren't we? So. In the car, for sure. <laughs> it got deep. <laughs> it's, it's, most of it isn't something that you can really record for a podcast either. So. Of course. I'm happy that I didn't record it. <laughs> no, I just want to go through quickly the, your experience. So, first of all, how happy are you for how the Atlas Monterey's came together? I genuinely think it's one of the the best race experiences I've had for a number of reasons. I mean, it's a beautiful race. The country's beautiful. The people are amazing. And then also I was just in my own dream world, um, which wasn't so good for making the, the uh, aforementioned podcast. Um, it's okay. I think it actually I got a lot of nice people talking about you. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't believe it when I finished and then there was four episodes <laughs> and most of them were my mum. It's just, uh, yeah, that was, that was a shock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she actually was pretty precise on everything she was saying, so awesome. Yeah, she did a good job. Didn't embarrass me too much, which is the most important thing. So there's no baby stories or anything like that, which is always a danger. <laughs> I can do it for next time. Don't, don't encourage her, please. <laughs> No, but actually, I'm. Um, no, I mean, from your voice, for your own voice, and from your own stories, um, it really looked like you really enjoyed. Let's start from there. From riding in Morocco as a place, as a country, the people you met. Tell me more about that. How was the full experience of yourself riding into this amazing country? Yeah, well, I'd been to Morocco before, um, but not really that far away from Marrakesh, um, which is is very touristy. I mean, on the flight over, it's people going away for boozy weekends and stuff like that. And it's, uh, I mean, you heard some of the, the sounds from the center of Marrakesh in, in one of the first podcasts. And, and it's great. It's a really vibrant sort of energy there. But it is, it's kind of not necessarily the real rock and culture. It's, it's all amped up a little bit. 
But what, on the race, you, you kind of, you're in real Morocco. You know, you're, you're in small villages where there's one shop that may be open a few hours a day and everyone goes there and you have to speak French or try and speak French or Arabic, which I don't really speak any of. Mm. Turns out I speak some French. I didn't know I knew that much, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, you, you have to really interact with the people. So I think you get a very true cultural experience, um, and the people are lovely, really, really nice, um, very welcoming, very accommodating to someone like me who's <laughs> trying to speak French and can't very well. Um, and yeah, it was just no, really nice. Just I really enjoyed it. Like I, fe- I felt like I got a real insight into the culture, um, and it was yeah, brilliant. Another thing that actually we all noticed through the miniseries that basically we ran together, you ran it more than me, apart from myself interviewing your family and friends. But actually, the thing that we noticed is that all the people, I, I mean, you really enjoyed as well the racers, the other fellow racers that were around. I mean, you were really a good bunch of people there. Yeah, I think if you sign up for something like this, then you're probably all um, equally as... Uh Uh, stupid or um, adventurous or whatever word you want to use but it's kind of a leveler people are similar people are attracted to these kind of challenges so I think by default you're you're pretty much you've got more chance of getting on with people really well at these events than say you know going to a a dinner party with random people you don't know you know it's um, it's it's kind of that your section of society is probably together so it's easy to get on and you're all there you've got a common cause like beforehand you've the same worries and afterwards you've had the same sort of experiences and stories and you've all had like a collectively shared you know experience over the past four five six seven days and it's always just nice to chat it over and you know compare notes and I think that's one of the best bits about these ultras because everyone finishes as an equal because everyone's had to to go through the experience and in actual fact if, if you're one of the faster guys I always say this it's, it's easier because there's, yeah. there's less days out there you know, there's less days camping there's less days trying to figure out what food you're eating um, and I think it, it means the, the faster guys often have a hell of a lot of respect for the slower guys because like, let's face it we don't want to be out there longer than we have to be sometimes and, uh, and the slower guys are out there for quite a long time sometimes Yeah, I mean it was also pretty harsh right I mean the condition this year were probably a bit tougher than the one of the of the 2020 edition I guess so I mean I didn't ride in 2020 so I, I can't directly comment um, but it was varied let's say <laughs> with the weather um, it's, it's, a, it's a hard route generally it's, it's quite rugged and tough but the route flows really nicely like you get a really really hard section and you pretty much hate Nelson but then you get a nice easy section to forget about that it, it kind of it flows nicely that way but there's still lots of steep hard climbing rocky tracks it's not always easy going And then there's things like the weather, the wind. You know, it very rarely rains in Morocco, but it rained. <laughs> you know, it was, it, was, um, it rains when we were up high at 2,000 meters, so obviously it's cold at, at 2,000 meters when you're wet. Um, so it just made it a bit more challenging. And then once that weather front had come through, it was really warm. So I, you know, I saw 40, 42 degrees on the, uh, on the Wahoo head unit. So it's, it's a vast array of, of challenges. Absolutely, and there was also this kind of variable of this year of, uh, I mean, overfloating of rivers. Yes, well thankfully I didn't, um, I didn't get affected too much by, uh, by the river issues. Um, 
But when it rains in the mountains and it's really dry, like the ground's really dry, so the water obviously doesn't soak in. And these dry riverbeds you see often, turns out they fill up really quickly, <laughs> as, as, uh, as one chap found out when he camped in it and his bike got washed away down the river. Um, but the, the main hold-up for the, well, for, from sort of the front of the race where I was on the, the second morning, um, so where the third podcast came from, the rivers came up and we couldn't cross them. And, well, I got held up two hours. Justinus was nearly seven hours. Um, and by the time we crossed the river, it had gone half as much down. But it was still going quite fast. It was still relatively deep. And you could just see, like, the force of water flowing down. And it was, it was really dangerous. Like, if, if Justinus had tried to cross it and not been stopped by the police, I think he may well have found himself in trouble. Wow, no, yeah, we all saw the images. We also saw the images of uh, the image of you crossing that river with really short shorts. So <laughs> this means that actually the water was pretty high and pretty strong. The stream was pretty strong. Yeah, it was up to my, um, over my knees in the deepest bit. So yeah. I didn't want to get my shorts wet. Makes sense. Unfortunately, I forgot that there's a photographer uh, as I pulled my, uh, <laughs> my tight shorts up like hot pants. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I saw a super amazing photo also mentioned by, by Becky. She was, yeah. And actually was talking about the series that were called The Shorts. And <laughs> yes. actually there was a photo of yours. Yeah, well, if anyone's going to take the pee out of me, it's going to be Becky. So. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I, I probably deserved it. <laughs> you did, you did. Um, especially because The Shorts were not super short. But that's another story. Yeah, I guess we know what the, uh, the cover for this episode is going to be, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, something that I want to ask you is that, I mean, let's... No, before that, let's start from another part. Competition, so the race itself. How was it for you? I mean, how did you feel into the race? And uh, yeah, how did you feel actually? You didn't know so much about it because actually we're going to talk about that in one second. You didn't have connection on your phone. But physically, how did it look and how did it feel for you that race? I mean, I had a really good race and I was in pretty good form going into it. I was really fit. I'd done some really good sort of numbers in training in the months before. So I was in a good place physically. Um, however, bikepacking is getting so much more competitive. <laughs> and I mean, I think um, I, there was four or five guys that I thought were, were going to put a good ride in. Um, turns out there was about 10 ride, riders who were really, really strong. Mm. And they all went off super, super hard at the beginning. And I just knew that that pace wasn't like, sustainable for me. So I essentially had to let everyone go and maybe play on experience a little bit um, and just ride my own race and hope that I came back and I was confident that some of those guys were going too fast um, even turns out Justinus was going too fast you know eventually he, he made a lot of mistakes but it kind of um, you kind of make your own luck sometimes in these things and if, if he'd have backed off maybe 5% he still would have been the fastest guy there and he probably wouldn't have made his I guess silly mistakes which cost him you know a finish in the race um, but there's a lot of really fast guys like Justinus and they're learning they're learning how to do this and when they know how to do this I mean I'm not going to be able to compete at the front yeah, <laughs> I, can, yeah. I can kind of be there or thereabouts but um, like in terms of raw power there's a lot of guys who are stronger than me now um, and there's guys like Marin who's strong and is pretty experienced and he's still only 24 years old it's crazy he's just crazy it's, yeah he's, uh, guys like Marin they're going to be the future of bikepacking and I've got no doubt that he can win a, a TCR or a Tour Divide or something like that bearing in mind he's completed three TCRs already one Hope 1000 one Atlas Mountain Race now he's 24 years old mm -hmm. I'd never been bikepacking at 24 years old absolutely <laughs> I didn't think it even really was invented yet 
So, so yeah, so the, the strength in depth is, um, is through the roof, and I think Atlas was was really it's a well publicised race, and I think a lot of people wanted to do it because it's not it's not a long long ultra. It's not like a, a like a Grand Tour, like a Tour Divide or you know TCR. It's four or five days if you're riding really hard. So I think it's within sort of the mental capacity of a lot of these fast guys, and I think that showed. It was a hard hard race. Um, so I established quite early on that maybe, maybe I shouldn't be chasing and I just ride my race and it, it kind of took the pressure off. And then obviously my phone didn't work, which I mean, it's a very much a first world problem and it made the race so much better because I was just unconnected. I didn't know, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where other people were. And to be honest, I didn't really care. Okay. I was just enjoying the experience. Um, and I think that's why I enjoyed it so much because I didn't push the sleep deprivation too much. I rode hard all day. I didn't stress about stopping for an omelette and I, I looked after myself. So I think I came through it strongly. I finished strongly. Maybe I could have trimmed a bit of time here and there. Um, there's always the what ifs after a race, but I don't think it would have made much difference to my result. Mm-hmm. Maybe one position if I was lucky, but would I have enjoyed it so much if I'd pushed that hard for one position? And does it make much difference in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, like fundamentally we do it because we enjoy it. And uh, if you come fifth or come sixth in a race like that, it's it's not really what it's about, is it? It's about the journey and the experience and you know seeing the world a bit. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you actually mentioned about you missing the connection with the phone, so basically you were blind on whatever was happening around you in for the full race. You said already that it affected you quite a bit, but would you think actually, I don't know, just position yourself in a situation where you had a phone, do you think that in this kind of situation you would have really done it? So, I mean, you're super experienced, you know how much you can push yourself or whatever. With a phone in your hand, working phone in your hand, would you push a bit more in order to get another position or you would exactly do the same race, try to enjoy any piece of Morocco as good as possible as you did? It probably would have made it slightly different Mm. because I would have been aware of other people. So if you know someone's an hour down the road, maybe the incentive is to push a bit harder. But because I didn't know, like I, I had a, a feeling where I was, because you, you kind of, you understand who passes you and, and these things. But yeah, I didn't feel the urge to, to find out either. I mean, to be honest, if when I first started doing these races, my first big ride was um, Transcontinental 2014. I didn't have a smartphone then. And to be honest, if I had had a smartphone then, I probably would have scratched and maybe that would have changed everything. Mm. But I didn't know where I was. I didn't know how to scratch. I didn't know where the train station was because obviously it was like an old phone with no smart capabilities. All I could do is ring my mum and whinge down the phone. Um, she knows quite a bit, actually. What's, what's it? I mean, she's a super experienced dot watcher. Yeah. We all stand it. So. Yeah, yeah, well... Her, her kind of dot watching experience shadows my racing experience so yeah. she's been a dot watcher since 2014 <laughs> no, yeah, that's really um, but yeah I, I genuinely think if I'd have had a smartphone in 2014 I probably would have found some excuse or some way to get out of that race but because I didn't know where I was or how to get out I just carried on yeah. and then it came good and then I maybe learned some lessons which I've carried on um, I mean phones they're very useful devices but they probably ruin a lot of things and I, I'm not just about talking about bike racing you're right it's like you sit on the, the bus or the train or you know the pub and everyone's on their phone mm. and if it's not there then you don't miss it do you 
Absolutely. But we're just Absolutely. we're just kind of a bit dependent on them now. Absolutely. Um, another thing that I want to ask you: you were actually mentioning about um, faster riders, younger riders that can really do good in a race like the Atlas Monte race for several reasons. I mean, it's a shorter race. Uh, a lot of people are there. There is a lot of documentation and blah 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 about that. What do you think, though, on the other side? I mean, let's compare, let's compare two different races, in, uh, but with similar setup, let's say. Do you think that, a, I mean, you as a rider, so, or a rider like Josh, in the Silk Road Monte race, with your experience and everything, can, performs, okay, can perform better than the Atlas Monte race in terms of position? So, to make it shorter, how much the experience plays the game in races that are shorter despite of races that are a bit longer? I think on shorter races, you can take more risks. You can push harder because the end's... Plus as yeah, well. Yeah, the end's closer. Yeah. I felt like I could have carried on at that same pace for a bit longer, like two or three more days in, in Atlas. Um, I think if, if we did two laps of the Atlas course, I probably would have been a lot higher up the field. Mm. Um, but I, I guess maybe, maybe that's why I do well at these races. I'm good at just keeping going maybe it takes a long time for people to crack and I think four or five days is a I mean when I've taken the lead of races GB Giro TCR it's been four or five days in ah uh, yeah it's um I think that's a, a key tell you know if you've been going too hard that's when it starts to show so maybe I'm just um the way I ride is quite efficient and I'm I'm used to looking after myself maybe that's my strength so I think yeah I'm probably better on a longer race um But then if you use Silk Road as an example, there's a lot of guys now that know how to ride that race, like Sofian, James yeah. Hayden, um, whoever else has done it two or three times. So if I think I went, if I went to that race, I'm basically I'm learning again because it's a whole new landscape and culture. You probably need a few races in you to, to figure that part out and then apply the racing element of it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, still talking about the, um, I mean, uh, the fact that you were without a phone. There is an episode, you said something about that also in one of our episodes, so there is something that happened, that actually if you had a phone, things would have gone differently. When you basically camped a few kilometers before CP3. Tell us more about the story. Yeah, well, I kind of, um, I'm not very good at maths and numbers, they're not my forte, <laughs> especially sequencing and getting things in the right order. And, uh, and it turns out printing off the right... Um, Q sheet <laughs> so it's so an Atlas Mountain race they give you a resupply thing and um, I basically the route changed a bit from 2020 the first edition it's a different finish and um, I, di I didn't figure out that I'd printed out the, uh, the incorrect Q sheet <laughs> so it was, it was the same all the way to the last checkpoint and then in my head I had 87 miles from the last checkpoint to the finish and I also knew that on the, the files they were split down into 200k sections So what's that, 120 odd miles? So I was like, right, uh, 87 miles to go, I have the countdown mileage on, is the final checkpoint. So I was thinking that, uh, you know, 110 miles to go, that it was going to be another, you know, however many miles until the checkpoint. And I was really tired of that last night. Okay. I really needed to sleep. So I went to sleep, thinking that it'd be another 30 miles in the morning to the checkpoint. As it turns out, I woke up and I freewheeled down this tarmac hill and about 10 minutes later, some, some guy was in the street waving at me and I thought, oh, why is this guy in this town waving at me at like three in the morning? It's just, 
what's going to happen now? And then I looked up, I was like, oh, it's a checkpoint, it's a volunteer. <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe had I known, maybe I, if I'd have had like the ride with GPS overview or something, I, I would have known and that would have maybe pushed through a bit. It wouldn't have made much difference in the grand scheme of things. I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have gained enough time to, to um, you know, squeeze another position. I maybe would have got there, had a quick nap and some food, and maybe instead of sleeping three hours, slept an hour and just gained, gained two hours on, on the ride. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, it, it's, it's quite funny, really. It's just, it's, I mean, we, would, we wouldn't have this nice story to tell. Exactly, exactly, about my maths. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, well, actually, we did our first episode that was a lot about your preparation, your gears or whatever. How you're planning about that? I mean, you're planning about your bike, you're planning about your kit, you're planning about also what you brought, and also transferring everything also in a bit more the race planning. So your nutrition idea and your training idea. How did you feel about that? You think that actually you did everything on the right way? Or probably coming back, maybe going back to the Atlas Monterey another time you would do something different? I think I've got quite a, a tried and proven method now which works for me. Mm. And maybe there's always things you could change. I've still got this thing in my head, it's like I'm riding the drop bar Mason. Was that the, the right bike? Probably for 50% of the course it was. Maybe for the steep climbs and rocky descents, maybe it wasn't. And then I think if I, if I went back, maybe if I took a hardtail, I'd probably feel like that was a, the right bike for the other 50% and then, you know, wish yeah. I was on the drop bar bike. So I don't know, it's, it's always, I'm always looking and changing little bits, but my core of kit and preparation, I mean, I, I've kind of proven I can get around these races relatively, not easily, it's, not, it's never easy, but comfortably, I guess. Um, so I think my preparation, I know what I need to do to get around. Um, I guess that's experience. It's not like a massive unknown. Um, because I know my bike works, my kit works. I know what problems I might face and I'm able to sort of mitigate those before they happen. Um, and yeah, like everything was flawless. I had no mechanicals, my kit worked perfectly. Uh, well, my brain didn't work perfectly. <laughs> and my phone didn't work perfectly. At all. But, that, but yeah, it was just, uh, that was human error though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, last thing, uh, actually two more things that I want to ask you is... How do you see, actually, how did you see, in general, the race itself? Because you have been through a lot of people, right? You have been through Marin, of course, and uh, that actually, or, I mean, Justinas as well, and the Rwandans as well, people that finished pretty good on the race. And also you saw other people that maybe scratched or just arrived at the last time. You were actually there as well for the finisher party. People-wise, how actually did you see it and how actually can you see, you talked already about that, the evolution of this kind of race and this kind of races in terms of, I mean, front of the pack and back of the pack? I think, um, I think there's just more depth everywhere. There's probably more people at the back, more people at the front. You know, there's, 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 more, there's less, the gaps between riders are smaller in races. Um, but there's more people who know how to do it now. There's more opportunities to do different rides. There's more, like a larger variety of gear available. So there's a, a higher number of people, say, than like nearly 10 years ago, know how to do these races. And I think that reflects in the, the people that are doing it. Maybe, uh, maybe different people are getting attracted to the races that maybe wouldn't normally do it. So you, you see a huge, a huge variety. There's cyclists, there's like diehard cyclists, probably like I am. There's probably adventure people, or there's some people that just think, oh, that looks good, I'll give it a go, see what happens. 
Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a huge spread, uh, which is nice. But you've all got that one thing in common, is that you're stupid enough to you know, go out to uh, Marrakesh and try and ride over the Atlas Mountains. Absolutely, and eat omelette for at least four days and yeah. eight days as well. How was the food, by the way? If you like omelette, it's excellent. Okay. <laughs> well, Not a jean and nothing. Yeah, I, I had a few tagines, but they just take a while. Mm. Um, and to be honest, in the smaller towns, especially, I guess, the, the poorer areas, I guess omelettes were the one. Um, it's either omelettes or cheese sandwiches. The cheese being the uh, the laughing cow triangles. Yes, because that is all over the place. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I had um, it, if you had a cheese omelet, it'd basically be an omelet with a triangle of cheese in it. That's great. And then you can it's put some bread. I mean, the bread is really good there as well. Yeah, the bread's nice. Mm. Uh, basically, my main substance was buying an omelet maybe once or twice a day. Sit down for half an hour, fill the water up, and then just have a whole loaf of bread and just put the egg on it and mm. and eat it, which is fine. It's really good. It's kind of clean fuel. Um, and then you supplement that with a vast array of like very sweet cakes which just make your mouth fall apart <laughs> did you drink any tea around or I, I think that was the my downfall on the last night so I had an omelette about 6pm uh, and the guy offered me some green tea and it was super strong the mm. caffeine just totally went to my head I was flying up the climb feeling amazing but then as soon as like two hours later when the caffeine dip went I was just falling asleep on the bike Oh. which is why I, I went to sleep for the checkpoint because I was so tired like going 40 miles an hour down a really fast hill in the dark with my eyes like nodding oh, off right. so uh, yeah and they usually put also a lot of sugar there yes so. I think it's the perfect like rocket fuel combination mm. caffeine a lot of sugar it's more like a syrup isn't it yeah, yeah and yeah. then the mint as well I think that wakes you up a bit it was really nice but um yeah I only had the one and that, that nearly was my undoing makes sense Last question that I want to ask you, Josh, and he is the classic one. What's next? Uh, next is very soon, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that I can go live with this episode before you start the next. Yeah, so the, the next race is the Rhino Run, um, yeah. which is uh, starts in South Africa, yeah. uh, Plattenberg Bay, and finishes in Windhoek in Namibia. Um, That's so nice. So it's, uh, it's probably a little bit close to Atlas, but I feel like I came out of Atlas quite strong. Um, and I've just had a bit of time in the desert, so I've kind of, I felt like I was, I was thinking about the next race while I was in Atlas, just sort of analysing what was working, you know, what my mistakes were, i.e. not filling up my water at every single opportunity. Um, that's, you know, I, you could get away with it in, in Morocco, but uh, in Namibia when it's 40 degrees and 200k without resupply, I think there'll be some valuable lessons there. Um, mm. So yeah, so that starts, well, what are we now? Saturday. Mm-hmm. this time next week I shall be riding through South Africa um, that's awesome yeah so two and a half weeks after finishing Atlas yeah it's going to go one way or the other but, but either way it's, it looks like an amazing experience a beautiful route it's the first edition um, and there's some really cool people going a lot. exactly I wanted to ask you what's your expect- and not expectation in terms of if you want to say that I'm pretty happy but expectation in terms of what are you going to see there? I mean, you were just mentioning amazing people. Seems like you have really a parterre de roi there. A lot of nice people. I mean, yes. n- genuinely, genuinely nice human being are going to be there. Yeah. Well, I hope they are. I've not met half of them. The people that I know, they're really nice. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, all the people that, like some familiar faces, like Sofian, Leo, uh, Max Rice, Adrian, Sophie, they're all, they're all going. Mm-hmm. It's always nice to see the, the familiar faces. But then I've never met the Australian kind of contingent, the guys from Curve. Um, we're talking like, you know, Jesse Carlson, Sarah Hammond. Um, who else is going? Um, obviously Rhino, Ryan Flynn. All these guys who, who I love to meet because they're, they're kind of 
they're quite high profile known people in the world and well, the bikepacking world and I just quite like to meet them it's, it'd be cool yeah. couple that with like it's an excuse to avoid the British winter for another two weeks why not I've always wanted to ride through the desert in Namibia um, yeah so it's kind of why wouldn't you I mean, wildlife also is good. I mean, even if I could... I mean, we are in London here. We are here at Bespoked. And yesterday, talking about wildlife, I saw a fox pretty close to me. They can be really big. Yeah, well, especially the ones in London because they're not scared of people and there's lots of food for them. Okay. So it's not foxes I'll be worried about in, uh, in Namibia and South There are no foxes, hopefully. No, I'm, I'm probably worried more about things that crawl and things that slither with... Um, big fangs that, that bite you <laughs> bite yeah. snakes and scorpions um, it's probably not the thing I should be worrying about most but you know you kind of you always have an unrational fear for, for the unknown don't you absolutely I should absolutely. probably worry about water more than anything but yeah I'll figure it out when I get there put it this way I'm taking a tent though I want to be able to zip myself in <laughs> okay perfect so no BV tent no I, that was one of the things in um, in Atlas I think for four days you can get away with it but when it's really hot you're like you're sweating in your shorts You feel disgusting and slimy and horrible. So I figured I just want to be able to get in a tent, get undressed, uh, also zip myself away from any creepy crawlies. I can put my shoes in the tent, helmet in the tent, and just sleep in my, my sleeping bag um, without any clothes on and hopefully stay fresher. So that's my master plan. Awesome. I mean, don't spoiler too much. I don't know what's happening. You don't know what's happening. But maybe we can actually come out with another series or maybe not. Well, but maybe in that case, probably you can make another episode with all your preparation. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I'll, um, well, let me see if I can make my phone work this time. <laughs> yeah. I cannot really interview for a couple of weeks all the time your friends or relatives. I cannot do oh, it. I know, I know. Well, my mum would probably love it, actually. But, <laughs> but yeah, I'll, um, I, can, I can do that. Um, I'll try and do some updates as I go along and, and try and speak to some people. And, yeah, so, well, if people are interested in, in hearing that stuff, then I quite enjoy, quite enjoy that side of things as well. So awesome. I can talk to some people. <laughs> That's awesome. Josh, I don't know, some takeaway, last thing that you want to say, or just say hi to everybody to, to listen to us? Feel free, now is your space. Well, yeah, thanks for listening to my ramblings that, well, that I wasn't even involved in. My ramblings. <laughs> yeah, Stefano's ramblings, and uh, yeah, I hope, hope it's enjoyable, and um, yeah, just go and ride your bike. Of course, I mean, yeah, I sh we should do it as well. There are people riding on now in the velodrome, so yeah, we probably should watch something. <laughs> Ciao. Ciao for now, thank you. <laughs> this is The Shorts, Josh's story from the Atlas Mountain Race, a production by the Broom Wagon Podcast. Voiceover by Stefano, aka Calamaro. Story by Josh Ibbett. Thanks a lot, Komoot, for the support, and thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want, feel free to share, subscribe, rate, do whatever you want on your podcast application. Talk to you later. Thank you.